Hello and welcome back to the Soft Edges podcast. My name is Lucy and I'm here today with my ever so lovely co-host Maïs Rukel. And as per usual, we are so very happy to have you with us today. So thank you so much for joining us. In this episode, we're going to continue our journey into the wonderful book, Pleasure Activism, The Politics of Feeling Good by the amazing and talented Adrienne Marie Brown. Um, our journey will start on page 207 and will end on page 233. But before we start, I would like to ask my lovely co-host how he is doing. Hello. Hi, Lucy. <laughs> I'm doing perfectly fine. Thank you. I missed you a little bit. Yeah. A tiny bit. <laughs> just enough so that I can stomach it. <laughs> <laughs> It's been a while since I saw you. Yeah. Other than that, I am fine, but I'm looking forward to um, just meet up again. Me too. And uh, have our more casual conversations. Yeah. Although I really enjoyed these as well. And I'm looking forward for this episode specifically too. Of course. I also miss seeing you and actually hanging out in person. <laughs> yeah. At the time we're recording this, our audience might not know, but we are again uh, under new stricter COVID-19 <laughs> rules in the Netherlands. That's awesome. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> which means that we now have a curfew from 9 p.m. until 4 a.m. Uh-huh. And uh, we can't have more than one guest at a time per 24-hour period at home. Yep. So, mm. so, so, it doesn't give us much option to, no. <laughs> to hang out. <laughs> and we have been quite careful with these rules and with, like, how we want to navigate with all of this, right? Definitely. We really wanted to be very attentive for many, many reasons, of course. And recently I was actually talking to someone and... Um, he asked me like how do you cope not having any friends around any any uh, network around that you can socialize with when you need to and then i said yeah well i have lucy because <laughs> we both know how careful we have been yeah and, um we both have this trust around this somehow so you know in this isolation it's been perfect that we live so close by to each other oh, yeah. and then we can spend some time together yeah you know, definitely to you're literally the only person i see in person in the past same. <laughs> in the past months <laughs> apart from the person i live with of course but same because i know that it's the same for you so i don't mind seeing you and we literally are 10 minutes away from each other by bike I know. so zero risk <laughs> <laughs> and the psychological results of only seeing you will come later of course <laughs> and i will send you the bill for that <laughs> i'll pay for your therapy sessions no worries thank you and, and i will pay for yours <laughs> thank you and maybe the potential medication your therapist will oh, deem yes, correct to put you sure. on <laughs> yes <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Well, mm -hmm. let's jump right in. But right before we do so, I would like to issue a gentle general trigger warning as many of the chapters that we're going to talk about during this episode contain mentions of multiple sensitive and potentially triggering topics. Um, so yeah, just a brief trigger warning before we start discussing potentially harmful content, but I just wanted to give our listeners the option to opt out now of this episode if needed, and if not, you are more than welcome to join us, and I will issue uh, another brief um, trigger warning before each time, each uh, chapter that contains uh, potentially harmful content, of course. Mm -hmm. 
All right, let's、Perfect. do it.、Mm-hmm. So, the first chapter that we are going to discuss is called It's Time to Reclaim Our Skin, an essay by Adrienne Marie Brown. In this first chapter, Brown tells us all about the art and practice of loving our whole sexy naked body. She starts by saying that being afraid of getting naked is not, is not an abnormal feeling because, as she says, quote, We are told over and over again by capitalism that our true selves are not good enough, that only the wealthy deserves to be well and receive care, that our bodies are not beautiful because we are disabled or fat or not white or not pleasing to a man, etc. etc. End quote. Through the sensual lens of the act of getting naked, undressing in the realm of sex and intimacy, Brown offers us practices to help us, quote, bring our unapologetic selves into any space where we need to get naked. And so I'd like to go over the few sections that,、uh, that she presents to us.、Uh, the first one being know your own nakedness. And in this section, Brown talks about her own shame or even aversion to her body. And when she talked about that, I truly felt it as well. I used to feel a similar way. I was so afraid of being naked in a bright light in front of somebody else, particularly in a sexual、uh, situation or with a romantic partner, even. I also tried to hide the parts of my body I was insecure about、uh, yeah. constantly. My, my, When I was younger, when I was a teenager, my biggest insecurity was my very flat chest. <laughs> mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so I would constantly wear push up bras that were way too big for my flat chest day、Aww. and night. <laughs> I would sleep <laughs> with push up bras on. <laughs> like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Just in the hopes to give the illusion of fuller breasts, which, you know, <laughs> it's so sad. <laughs> <laughs> I did that for literally months when I was、uh, maybe 12 or 13. When most of my girlfriends at the time had fuller breasts, their bodies、yeah. were developing a lot faster than mine. And of course,、mm-hmm. all the boys were obsessed with boobs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.、Mm-hmm. So knowing my own nakedness is something that I just started practicing in the past four to five years, I would say.、Yeah. And not、mm-hmm. gonna lie, I'm still in the process of fully loving my body. I still practice. I'm getting there. <laughs> I'm yeah, determined、mm-hmm. to get to the beautiful point that Brown mentions when she says, quote, eventually I got to a place of seeing myself whole in motion, de- decompartmentalized. <laughs>、mm. Eventually I realized it was a sacred and beautiful body, end quote. Beautiful. What did you think of that、uh, first section, Mayas? Beautiful. I mean, I think this entire chapter is really essential reading, you know, all of that. And all of you just mentioned about your own journey with、uh, coming in terms with your nakedness. Not only coming in terms, but actually like feeling comfortable and feeling love for that nakedness is a whole process. And it, it's. Yeah.、Um, It is leashed by oppressive systems that we need to dismantle, also personally, not only politically on a grander scale, but personally as well. So I can imagine how dif- difficult it must have been for you during the early years of your 
uh, teenagehood. Yeah. To have a flatter chest that when you wanted bigger, when you wanted bigger breasts. Um, I also heard from other friends who had big breasts suddenly, and they were disturbed by the attention that brought as mm-hmm. well. You know. Yeah. There's yeah. So many forms of um, unwanted <laughs> attention or unwanted um, evaluations to- towards our bodies that are so harmful in so many ways that we have to find a way to deal with and then heal from all of that, unfortunately. Yeah. That's such a terrible reality. I really appreciate this entire chapter. Um, it, it's As you uh, mentioned in the uh, trigger warning, I think you did, um, it's based on the hashtag MeToo era mm-hmm. and that movement and such. And that, that movement evolved and transformed into bigger and richer conversations. It branched out into very important discussions. And um, in this chapter, Adrian Marie Brown really taps into crucial points of how we can, in very personal and intimate ways, deal with the stuff that came to surface after that, you know? Yeah. I mean, information we need to move forward as well. Her, her voice is always such a guiding force. And I really love that in, in It's Time to Reclaim Our Skin, she posed this question that I found really important. She said... Can we remember what it is to be alive with each other mm-hmm. beyond suffering and survival? Yeah. And this question really makes me mourn all that we have lost, you know, all that we have sacrificed uh, unwillingly to capitalism and to its tools of oppression. Mm. It just also makes me feel like in some ways it's such a pity that we got our chance for a life on Earth as part of such a consecutively shitty centuries Oof. <laughs> like Oof. why did it it could have been worse but still oh, why sure. did it have to be now also in the midst of all this racism and transphobia and all the other bullshit but yeah on the other hand it is exciting to envision the kind of future that we can build together so that that gives a sense of purpose and um yeah yeah love I guess. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, as you said, it is a fucked up world. I think it's always been, unfortunately. It's not just now, sadly enough. But we are in my in my mind, I feel like we are all working for on a better future together and a more Mm -hmm. welcoming and caring world. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. It feels like sometimes two steps forward, one step back, right? Yeah. But at least um, we are going forward, for sure. Yeah, definitely. And I hope it mm-hmm. can reach the whole world throughout because, of course, we we kind of all live in different bubbles, right? We're not fully aware yeah. of what's going on in different parts of the world and we can't know for sure what the different mentalities are depending on where you are, uh, how you were raised, the situation of your country, of your family, of your personal emotions. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I hope it just spreads out all around so we can all, yeah, yeah, we can all feel better about ourselves and start loving who we are from our outside (laughs) appearance and our outside, um, how do you say, cocoon almost to uh, yes. to the whatever is inside of us exactly and and remember what it is to be alive with each other beyond suffering and survival or redefine mm-hmm. what it is to be alive with each other yeah. beyond all of that right absolutely yeah yeah 
Yeah, I also really loved the tool uh, Adrian Marie Brown offered us um, about loving our nakedness, of like looking into the mirror and saying that you like a specific part of your body, you know, and doing this every day without repeating any part, so that you will eventually have to make peace with the parts that you struggle with the most. Yeah. Or that you will at least be in, in a mindful relationship to it, I think. Yeah. And it's wonderful how this practice can lead to more dignity as Brown mentions, more love and confidence for our naked mm -hmm, bodies. Mm -hmm, absolutely. So it sounds like a very valuable tool that she's offering there as well. I think it's an incredible exercise and I would recommend yeah. everybody to try it, especially if you have uh, body image issues and such. Um, I think it could really help. It sounds like, I'm I'm sure it can, it can sound like something really stupid to do, <laughs> but actually you don't know the effects that this exercise, if repeated regularly, can have on your mind and the way that you see and love yourself. Very true. The second section that I wanted to go over was the one titled, Be Sure You Want to Be Naked. And mm -hmm. Brown says, nakedness is vulnerability. Vulnerability is something we offer where it is earned. As it is held well, we can offer more, end quote. And I just found that statement so true and so important to highlight because nakedness, vulnerability are your own to share. They are not deserved offerings. They are not, yeah, it's not something that just happens out of nowhere without, without respect, without being earned, as she says. They really, really need to be earned. And protecting yourself is so important when it comes to your nakedness and your vulnerability. If being naked doesn't feel right, then you don't have to do it. You don't need to jeopardize your well-being, your safety, your emotions. It's good to listen to your instinct and act on that, for example. Reflect on why it didn't feel safe in that moment, why being naked wasn't appealing to you at that yeah. time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I love the point about uh, vulnerability being something that we offer when it is earned and held well. I love how the question of like, has this moment earned my nakedness? But even when it's less literal, has this moment earned my vulnerability, actually, you know? And I am personally quite at peace with vulnerability. I cherish it so much and I try to show it and practice it whenever I feel safe to do so. I do it so often. Mm -hmm. I don't care. I actually feel very powerful when I practice the most vulnerability uh, in intercommunication, but I feel safe to do so most of the time. So that's why I do it. And I really feel like this vulnerability allows us so much honesty and that honesty we reach after vulnerability can be so transformative in interpersonal communication as well. Mm -hmm. So when we feel ready to share this nakedness or um, that we feel that that space and that person can hold our vulnerability and nakedness in a good way, there's actually so much power in bestowing that space or that person with that gift, our vulnerable, vulnerable truth, our vulnerable naked bodies. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. Yeah. In this section, Brown also says, quote, if you find yourself naked with someone who doesn't look at you with the love, care and worship with which you see yourself, reclaim your skin. There are always more lovers in the sea or the app, end quote. Yes, bitch. I thought that was also such a thoughtful, uh, thoughtful thing to share and uh, a reminder of it's it's really up to us, right? It doesn't have it does. There's no there's no rules to it. It's your body. 
And as she says, oh, there absolutely. are always more lovers in the sea or in the app. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Yeah, it doesn't have to be this person. If this per person sucks and doesn't show you the respect, love, and care that you actually fucking deserve, then bye. Mm -hmm. They don't deserve yeah. to see your naked bye. body. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna try to fucking decolonize and dismantle your personal bullshit, right? I'm already too busy battling everyday versions of it. At least in my intimate relationship, I should be treated with... Um, out with with a with a care that is outside of those oppressive systems. Yep. With a care that matches with what what we deserve as like divine fucking human beings mm -hmm. walking on earth uniquely. Uh, yeah, <laughs> this basic understanding has to be there for sure. Yep. 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 Yeah. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Um, I also really appreciated that in this part she included the nuance of discussing the value of partial dressedness, mm -hmm. you know, because sometimes I find it quite sexy as well, not only when it's like a specific costume or a kinky outfit, but also something as mundane as like a basic undershirt can be really sexy. Oh, yeah. And I, I really like that she discussed that here a little bit, a tiny bit, like in a paragraph or something. Yeah. Uh, apart from a partial dressedness being a reason for safety or comfort, it can also be something sexy. Definitely. So there's also a value in that as well. Yeah, for sure. And I completely agree. I think as I sometimes find people even sexier when they have a little of clothing on, like some sheer oh, fabric, yeah. maybe some booty shorts. Mm. <laughs> exactly. A peeking nipple through a shirt. I mean, that's really nice. I oh, love that so much. In another section, Brown talks about get consent. That's actually the title of this section. And she reminds us that, quote, while it's amazing that this needs to be said, don't get naked in front of others without <laughs> consent, end quote. <laughs> um, hello. <laughs> Just a gentle reminder. To everyone out there, yes, <laughs> don't get naked if you didn't get the consent of the person you want to get naked in front of. Just that's that's a very basic value, by the way. <laughs> yes, I know. But you know, you gotta remind it these days. <laughs> also, may I add, don't send nudes unless you know the person consented to receive them. Yeah, by the way. <laughs> that that's exactly the same. <laughs> like yeah, sending like nudes that, that, is the same as dropping your coat in front of, of a stranger. Look, there has been so many nudes in my life that I received oh, that would have been too. appreciated if they asked my consent for sending mm -hmm. it. Then I could genuinely enjoy that instead of blocking them, you know? Yeah. And I could genuinely, like, look at it and be like, oh, okay, mm, so that's what you wanted to share with me. You know what I mean? Yeah. But suddenly receiving a dick pic out of nowhere makes me feel attacked, to say the least, almost. You yeah, know? Like, it's, it, feels, it feels almost violating. Yeah, I think it is violating. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I think also, just a little tip here, I personally find it much more attractive when I have a little bit of a sneak peek of what's coming by the fact that someone actually asks if I want a nude. Like, yes, would exactly. you like to see my naked body? Or, you know, yeah. whatever the case, maybe I'm in the bath. Would you like to see me? I think that's hot. Yeah. And I would I be like, so um, yeah, please uh, hurry up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> follow through i'm waiting here 
I know. Yeah. And in the meantime, you can just grab your lube and your dildo. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Come on. Let's give each other this basic decency. <laughs> <laughs> and I promise you, it might even be sexier <laughs> than yeah. just dropping your pants for no reason <laughs> and out of the blue. <laughs> But, you know, I have something in my mind to complicate this discussion further, you know, like whether to get naked in front of others without consent or not. Uh, once one of my followers on Instagram sent me a message asking my opinion on something within their private life. Apparently their neighbor in the next building used used no curtains and would often be shirtless or naked in his apartment. Ooh. And the follower asked me like if I think that that's the right of that person or if you should respect the rules of living together in close habitats and put a shirt on. And of course this discussion calls for more nuance, but I was wondering wh what... How to deal with such a thing, right? Yeah. What would your thoughts on this would be? Well, that's indeed a complicated uh, conversation, I think. It's a little bit... It would be a little bit strange to say to someone, yeah. don't get naked in your own home. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> But at the same time, I do understand where uh, your follower comes from because it might be disturbing to them and in that case mm -hmm. would it be correct to ask this person to get curtains <laughs> yeah i know <laughs> instead Or of like saying don't naked. get naked maybe say hey you can get naked in your home as yeah. as much as you want it's your home you know but mm -hmm. i personally would appreciate it if you put curtains on I know, but then what if the person says, like, sorry, I want to feel the daylight on my body and walk around in my living room looking at the shadow of, of my bare body and just dance to the music that I love. You know, it's so complicated, right? Yeah, it's complicated. I don't know. I yeah. think I think then just try not to look. <laughs> Or maybe put <laughs> curtains on your own windows. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's just like where to go from that. Because then that's like asking that person, like, don't use your window, you know? Yeah. So it's so difficult. But I just feel like, okay, we should have the right to be however we want in our own homes. And we didn't choose to be stacked up in concrete buildings to survive. Yeah, you exactly. Know? So, so close to other people that we, we didn't choose to live with actually by the way the amount of asshole neighbors i had seriously and also being expected to dress or look a certain way in my private space feels a bit too much in that sense also yeah it does feel oppressive but then the question is like if there's a transparent structure a window without a curtain or something does that take away from the privateness of that space you know that makes the discussion even deeper yeah or Is it the responsibility on the other person who, as an adult, should take care of what they see or don't see, as well as the children in their care or something? It's a very complicated one. Yeah, I mean, for me, in in my personal opinion, I don't, I don't get offended by naked bodies at all. It's yeah. not something that bothers me. If I happen to glance over at the neighbors and my neighbors are naked, I don't even, yeah. it doesn't even, I don't even react. I'm just like, all right, Same. I continue going on with my day. It's just a naked body to me. Everybody has a naked body, you know yeah. what I mean? So it's really not an issue that I relate to. So it, yeah. I find it difficult to, to, 
yeah, to come up with a solution and yeah, something same. where we can meet halfway. Because to me, I would literally be like, cool, what was I doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> awesome. I mean, I walk around naked and at my place too. And sometimes I don't close the curtains because I'm literally yeah. just, okay, I'm getting dressed now. So I'm just going to grab my stuff in my closet <laughs> and get dressed. But I'm naked at the view of whoever's looking out of their window at that moment yeah. for the next 15 seconds. And yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, well, enjoy the view. <laughs> I know. I don't want to feel like Big Brother is watching in that 15 seconds. Mm -hmm. I want to be fucking naked at that 15 seconds, you know? Yeah, and I don't really mind if people see me naked, you know what I mean? It's not something mm -hmm. that offends me or, you know, it's, if it happens, it happens. And maybe this yeah. neighbor uh, that we're talking about feels the same way. Obviously, yeah. They're just they just don't mind and that's also wonderful to be comfortable with your body this way but again i do understand that it might be um disturbing to other people yeah. and in that case if that's disturbing to you well i don't know <laughs> maybe maybe you should get curtains honestly i don't <laughs> i don't fucking know <laughs> Because if someone came to you, uh, a neighbor, and was like, hey, uh, I saw you naked a few times when you were changing in your bedroom, and I'd like yeah. you to be mindful and close your curtains when you do that. How would you react? I would feel offended, I must say. I would be a bit pissed, actually. Yeah. I, I would be like, first of all, why are you watching me na when I'm naked? It's my home. <laughs> I'm just dressing up after shower. Or, or just fucking putting the kettle on you know <laughs> i don't have to be like on 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 the way to dressing up you know yeah yeah <laughs> so it's difficult i guess i would say to that person all right then join the revolution we will dismantle the system that makes us live together when we don't want to <laughs> to extremely high rents <laughs> yeah. packed and stacked in inhumane cement buildings let's change this <laughs> then i can like move to a society where nakedness is not such an issue and i have my larger and bigger own space blah blah you know what i mean <laughs> i feel like the solution to this crisis is much deeper so i guess at that moment i could just say like join the revolution or fuck off <laughs> good answer i think that's a really good answer yeah i wholeheartedly agree <laughs> i will make posters with my naked ass and like turning back and like join the revolution or fuck off <laughs> Yes, that's merch, actually. That That's mm -hmm. literal merch. Yes, our second merch is up, guys. <laughs> Swipe up. <laughs> no, but that's a really interesting conversation you, you, yeah. mm -hmm. you brought forward, I think. Because indeed, yeah. it also relates with, well, this neighbor or your follower didn't give... Mm their consent to seeing their neighbor naked right yeah in that sense also true but at mm -hmm. the same time it's not like their neighbor was purposely <laughs> trying to <Yeah. laughs> to make them see them naked i know <laughs> they're just living their life naked in their home and that's so wonderful maybe they just they just have to wear clothes at work every day and then they're they just yeah. get naked as soon as they get home because that's the most comfortable <laughs> they feel and in that Absolutely. case all the power to use is <laughs> yes 
Brown herself said in one of these texts that we just talked about uh, that that she is finding it hard to put on clothes yeah. <laughs> these days, you know? She enjoys being naked so much. Yeah, exactly. I think the point yeah. is just don't get naked in an aggressive manner. Like <laughs> <laughs> you don't need to be putting your body purposely <laughs> <laughs> and against their will <laughs> in front of people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But if you just do it yeah. at home and your neighbors peek uh, accidentally, well, so be it. They better enjoy the view. <laughs> yes, exactly. Thank me later. <laughs> <laughs> and send them the bill. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But actually, this is a great segue for the very last section that I wanted to talk about, uh -huh. which I wanted to to start by reading this wonderful quote uh, by Brown, which, sa which says, your miraculous body is a gift to you and a gift to those who get to see it and be with it, end quote. Mm -hmm. Yes. There you fucking go. Listen to Adrian Absolutely. Mary Brown. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, we are divine bodies walking around alive together at the moment. Yeah. You know, sometimes I get that realization and I'm suddenly um, like so feeling so many emotions about that. Suddenly like, oh my God. Yeah, indeed. Like all these people that I love are just like divine spirits in, the, in these bodies and they're just <laughs> alive with me, communicating with me. <laughs> Or like when I watched, I recently watched the documentary 13th. And in one scene, uh, Angela Davis enters to the courtroom that she was judged in when she was younger. Mm -hmm. And the, she has an entrance to that room with her gorgeous black turtleneck and shawl, Ooh. carrying a large ass book, beautiful skirt with her big afro. She just enters the room, looks around and walks to her seat. And just those couple of seconds made me go like, This is a divine human being. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is so, a modern day divinity. <laughs> I know. A deity, a, a goddess, a, a whatever. And then when we are special creatures like that, suddenly discussions around such, yeah, I don't know, trivial stuff feel strange. Yeah, I completely when, when understand. When we dwell in the awareness of, of how great we are. Yeah, I think we don't you know, acknowledge that enough. <laughs> so true. And we are carrying a lot of common traumas, systemic traumas, but also also personal ones. Yeah. And we are still trying to be kind, still trying to survive with kindness and love, persevering to centuries of oppression in so many ways. We're such beautiful human beings. We really are. There is a lot of, mm -hmm. of magic within us, whether it... Whether It is in the power that we have when it comes to sharing each other's pain, but also each other's joy and supporting each other, working together towards a better future, bringing new ideas forward, brainstorming together and actually coming up with a new structure, or even when it simply comes to just being naked together. The way that our bodies can intertwine and create such a powerful energy by just being naked is also, I think, very, very magnificent. Totally. Wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful. So we're going to move along to the next chapter. 
This chapter is titled, I want you, but I'm triggered by Adrienne Marie Brown again. So before we move into it a little bit deeper, I'd like to issue a gentle trigger warning to our listeners because there will be mentions of trauma and triggers. So I will invite whoever needs to, to keep yourself safe and comfortable by skipping ahead a few minutes or simply opting out of the episode altogether. So in the following essay, Brown talks about her own experience of feeling triggered, particularly during a sensual and or sexual exchange with a partner. And when using the word trigger, Brown means, as she says herself, quote, a visceral reaction of sensations and emotions in the body that we can't control, an experience that brings past trauma to the present, end quote. And based on her personal experience of feeling triggered, which can be very traumatic for some at certain moments, she shares with us a few tips of, quote, what to do if you find yourself triggered or suspect your partner is triggered in a consensual sexual experience, end quote. And in order to properly lay out the general content of her wonderful tips, I'd like to read through segments of each of them uh, rapidly. The first tip that she presents to us is titled Stop. In that section, she she says, quote, pause what you are doing. If you know from past experiences that you have some triggers, it can help to name this up front and let your person know what they can do if you get triggered, end quote. The second tip is take your time to recover. Brown says, quote, let your breath return to normal however long that takes. If you can't speak, closing your eyes can help you to establish a boundary around your attention and keep it on your own well-being and breath, end quote. The third tip is decide what to share. Adrian Mary Brown says, you are not obligated to disclose your past trauma. Actually, sharing the details of it in or right after the moment of trigger may not be appropriate for the connection or moment or your healing, end quote. In this section, Brown also shares a few sentences, options to say in that specific moment if that's possible for you, uh, slash for the person who is being triggered and with you in your presence. And these sentences include, quote, I want to share more about my history of trauma with you, but not right now. Are you open to hearing about what's coming up for me right now? I'm feeling like myself again. I don't want to talk about it. I would like to keep making out if you're down, end quote. And the fourth tip that Brown presents to us is called let your body follow your words and desires. She says, quote, if you want to leave or want your lover to go, make those moves. If you want to continue the encounter and your lover is still game, start slow. Move within the boundaries you need. But it's really important to know that you deserve pleasure, end quote. So I know that was quite a lot to go over. I did uh, try to to take uh, only brief sections of, uh, of the tips so we could talk about them in a little mm-hmm. bit more in depth afterwards. But I was wondering, um, before we dive deeper, how did you engage with this chapter, Amayas? I loved it. Adrienne Marie Brown is masterful in summarizing a large topic, a large situation even, that occur in many people's lives uh, in many different ways. And she is able to gather all of them into a formulated, well-formulated text that can be a map, a guide to many of us who go through these things. 
and she's really good at describing for example like when she said when she starts actually the text with saying we don't see it coming and i think that's a great way to summarize how triggers work mm -hmm. how something suddenly pulls us back to the moment of trauma and makes us experience it again as if no time has passed as if we're not in a safer situation yeah and it's it's precious information she gives about uh, navigating all of that and how when someone is triggered or when you have triggered someone how isolating both of these feelings can suddenly be and what we can do with all of that as well mm -hmm. but overall i really must say that i really enjoy this this emergence of this era of trigger slash cons um, content warnings i think it's a beautiful act of care and it keeps people safe and feeling well when engaging or communicating with each other I love it. It's I such agree. a beautiful intention to say like, hey, trigger warning or content warning. See, I will talk about certain things that can make you feel a bit disturbed. You know, I love that. Yeah. And when I read certain texts that is clearly from a pre-trigger warning era, I feel shocked by how casually people used to throw around descriptions or words that can actually be extremely triggering. Absolutely. People have been like just throwing them around like it's nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Reading those texts that I'm like, oh my goodness. Yep. This. Yep. You know, without any any little warning, like um, that was a weird time. And I'm so happy that it is changing now. Yeah, it's really nice. definitely. I think there, there was a time where we didn't really realize how harmful certain sentences, certain topics, certain content could be for other people. Maybe because we were also more focused on sharing the content uh, as widely as we could. Uh -huh. Very true. Also, privilege was at play. Yeah. Um, you know, and we also know much more about trauma and the ways it manifests itself, right? Mm -hmm. For sure. So all of that accumulation brought about this wonderful thing called trigger or content warning, yeah. which I love so much. Definitely. I love it too. I think yeah. it's really important. I also think uh, Brown's tips are very thoughtful, very mindful and careful and caring. And I believe they're really well detailed and, and applicable, which is mm -hmm. pretty amazing. I mean, most probably it, it will take lots of practice to apply the tips that she presents to us. Um, oh, yeah. And also to figure out which tips uh, would fit certain situations, certain feelings, certain maybe even traumas that would be coming up in the moment. And I also wanted to add that although this particular essay focuses on being triggered while in a, in a sexual experience, a sexual ex exchange, triggers can come from anywhere. And actually, yeah. while reading this chapter, I came to the realization that some of my own personal triggers lay completely outside of the of the sexual experience and the sexual exchange. I noticed that in the past, my anxiety and anxiety attacks, they would often peak and I would find sometimes that my body and reactions were completely uncontrollable especially when I went to large parties pre-corona of course <laughs> mm -hmm. in crowded spaces with lots of strangers or people I didn't really know and there was a point where I would get serious panic attacks every time I, I would go out with friends or go to a gathering of some sort. I would end up finding an excuse to leave early. I would gather enough strength to fake a 
big smile while saying goodbye. And then I would walk out, um, take a few steps, find a quiet doorway outside or a small street far enough from the crowd or whatever. And I would just start shaking and crying and hyperventilating and close my eyes as tight as I could. I wouldn't understand at the time why I was reacting like this, why my body was betraying me when I was supposed to be having fun and drink with my friends to dance and all of that. It was quite intense and only now do I realize that these environments, these specific situations, triggered past traumas in me. Mm-hmm. And only now do I see it so so clearly and yeah. I can relate it to a specific trauma in certain situation and various triggers actually. And of course I I don't mean to turn the beginning of this episode into a therapy session. <laughs> but <laughs> why I why not? <laughs> <laughs> why not? We're, we're here <laughs> anyway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I guess my point is triggers don't only happen in the bedroom or with a partner. Mm-hmm. They can and they do, of course, but it's also good to define find also acknowledge where your potential triggers can lay outside of sexual encounters or gestures touches breaths etc they can be more or less hidden like some of mine for example which i just talked about and i know it can be really difficult to be aware of what what your triggers are what they actually trigger it takes work and this word can be triggering as well unfortunately so i would invite anyone to proceed with caution and to Always, always protect yourself or the person in your life who has triggers and traumas first. Wow, thank you so much for sharing this, Lucy. Such a vulnerable experience that you go through. And I didn't know we are friends for many years. We've been through so many parties. Mm-hmm. That's, that's uh, yeah, that's another proof that how important it can be to ask each other, like, is there anything I might do that could trigger you or any situation that we might be in together that might trigger you to ask each other these questions to know better so that, for example, perhaps I could help you better. And in the future, of course, I will. Um, yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. It mm-hmm. also sheds a, a very um, illumina- illuminating light to the fact that indeed triggers can be from more obvious reasons or content, but also from very vague situations. Definitely. Like the way you described a party situation that you, you can't really put your finger on what exactly triggered you to that emotional state. But it is there. Yeah. There is a trigger within that. And that's really a valuable addition to this discussion because we know that, of course, descriptions of murder rape sexual assault we know that they can be triggering we that's very clear but there are also very uh, much more vague ones that's that's why i wanted to bring this up because basically it it can seem like a very random reaction to have in a specific moment as i as i shared it was mostly crowded parties and Parties are pretty pretty normal, right? Pretty normal events to to attend. Most of the time. You yeah. just, uh, I mean, not right now again, but <laughs> mm-hmm. in the past, yeah. you would go to a bar with your friends or you would go to a birthday party or you would just have drinks after work with your colleagues. In my case, I just, I just thought it was like the alcohol or it was just that I was tired or that I, that I was just uptight and that something was wrong with me. But then... While going through therapy and un- unveiling a lot of things, I-, I came to the realization that these reactions were much deeper than I thought. And they're actually yeah. related to 
uh, a lot of my triggers and a lot of my past traumas as well. So I just thought it might help someone out there who who's listening, who might be going through a similar situation or has gone through uh, similar experiences. And yeah, if they heard my story, they could relate to it and maybe even discover um, some of their triggers. Yeah, absolutely. I remember when I was in high school, there was someone who would get triggered by mentions of bubblegum or even the imitation of chewing one. Oh. And people would find that amusing. People were just like really playing with that. And the poor person was literally just very triggered by it. And people were just laughing about that. People you know are how so high mean. people can be seriously. So mean. And like who knows what this person has been through. Yeah. That involves somehow chewing or bubblegum that that makes that person so distressed, even with the mention of one, you know. And whenever I would see them, I would literally check myself immediately, like, am I chewing a bubblegum or is there bubblegum somewhere around, yeah. you know? <laughs> to just, uh, yeah, it doesn't help if I also join even the people who question it, not people who find it amusing, but like people who are like, but why? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just a bubblegum. Like, why, why are you like that? That's no, not helpful. The person is like that. It's period. I mean, you're a high school kid. You're not going to fucking solve a person's deep trauma. You're not, <laughs> yeah. you're not a psychologist or a psychoanalyst. Like, stop it. Just be respectful to each other. Give each other space. Leave it and, alone. Um, Leave it alone. Yeah, Respect it. Absolutely. Respect it. Protect the person exactly. if you can. It doesn't take much to not chew gum around this person or not even mention yeah. it. You know what I mean? Oh, it doesn't on. take much away exactly. from your life. Just saying, Barbara. <laughs> 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 oh, my God. People are so annoying. <laughs> I know. Hey, sometimes you would leave a party very drunk and you would tell me like, my I think I need to go. I, I feel like something is telling me to leave. Like you would, <laughs> you would have these revelations and such. Was this a cover up for almost like getting triggered outside? Because you can't get rid of me that easily, bitch. You can't. I won't fall for it next time. <laughs> exposed <laughs> <laughs> no but that's so true because it's so funny the way that i say it too i'm so dramatic in those moments i'm yes, just like the angel spoke to me and i need to go home <laughs> the angel gabriel just appeared and <laughs> told me bitch you need to go home. so strange but it must be because that's that's rather recent in the past couple of years so it must be some kind of layer of protection that my brain put in place after yeah, yeah. after uh, being triggered too many times and <laughs> then my brain realized I okay know. this bitch is still gonna go to parties she, she doesn't get it <laughs> i need to like send her angels some demons <laughs> literal <laughs> demons and angels to tell her go home ho <laughs> It's time to go home. <laughs> if Aww. you stay 15 minutes longer, you're going to have a panic attack. Go home. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I love my brain. <laughs> yeah. Would you like to say anything else about this wonderful chapter? I was just thinking, what do I do when I get triggered? But I, when I get mildly triggered, I should say, when I get mildly triggered, I kindly ask to stop the discussion, mm -hmm. tell the person like, please let's stop. I can't argue anymore or discuss this anymore. I can't. 
or I try to remind myself that I'm safe and okay, you know. Yeah. I'm not I'm not the same person. I'm not it's not the same time. It's a different time. Time has passed. I grew up, I healed, blah blah. You know, I try to remind myself of these things. I try to breathe deeply and uh, focus on that and get comfortable with my body. And sometimes I ask to be left alone mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. sometimes that's really what you need. Even though you know the person, you love the person and you know they want to help. But sometimes there's nothing they can do and it's just extra labor for you to accommodate their attempts to help as well, right? Yeah, definitely. Like they are being kind, so you want to be kind, but you don't have that energy to do that labor at that moment, that social and kind labor. So I just want to say, like, please like, leave, let, leave yeah. me alone. Yeah. Um, that's how I kind of navigate with like mild triggering situation, mildly triggering situations. I think these are really good tips as well, honestly. Mm-hmm. I think it can be very useful to a lot of people because it doesn't have to, it doesn't necessarily have to be a big reaction or a moment of overwhelm, but it can be very simply saying, let's stop this conversation right now. I don't want to talk about it. I don't feel good about this conversation anymore. Exactly. And it's really easy to say like, oh, of course. Okay. You know? Yeah. And not to react like, but I want to, but I want to talk <laughs> about it. No. Don't push it, Barbara. <laughs> exactly (laughs) do you have any tips for dealing with triggering situations yeah i honestly don't (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) because Mm -hmm. unfortunately i don't deal with my own triggers very well as the examples that (laughs) that i said that i talked about have shown (laughs) yeah um But no, I don't really have any tips at the moment. I'm hoping to to get more as my uh, therapy journey progresses, of course. Mm-hmm. But usually, I mean, recently I've been better at, um, at I don't want to say filtering myself, but more, more so filtering my brain and certain Im- impulses because mm-hmm. I do also um, tend to self-trigger myself sometimes. Yeah. Um, Mm. when it comes to news articles where I see that's a very recent example actually I saw an article talking about a French singer who um, is being sued by a lot of women for sexual assault and I saw the title and but instead of walking away from it closing the link and moving on to something else and catching my breath and and just letting my heart beat uh, slow down, I went and read almost three quarters of the of the article. And it just triggered me even more. You know, I, it stayed on my mind for so long, and I was really not in a good state. So I think for me, if if I could give any advice, it would be, it would be this, actually, try to Mm -hmm. try to put yourself in situations where you can uh, pull back from Mm self-triggering if that's something that you still do even when you don't want to because I know firsthand how difficult it can be to to walk away from triggering situations sometimes there's this strange relationship with uh, with triggers and certain it's it's a weird dynamic so my only tip would be to exercise that and also acknowledge it because it's mm-hmm. difficult to acknowledge. Maybe you are not even aware that you're doing that. But yeah. when you're in the moment, maybe try to step, take a step back. That's what I meant by filtering. Filter your thoughts and be like, okay, 
why am I doing this? Is this really mm. the direction I want to go in? And am I ready for what's coming on the other side? Because I know exactly what's coming. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. that would be my only tip. <laughs> That's a very important tip. And it's I, I also take it as a very important reminder for myself. Uh, a great reminder that you shared about like moderating mm -hmm. the input, the triggering input uh, you yourself decide to consume. Because sometimes when such an article appears, for example, I also find myself thinking like, hey, these people went through pain and in my privileged position, I owe the, the universe or the humanity to be informed about this. And then, you know, then I just like put myself through, just read all of it. And then I feel terrible a lot of times. Um, I, I take more than I can handle at that moment. Yeah. So it's really important to remember like to decide how much of it you want to consume. If it is, the, if it's the right time or if it isn't, you know, um, I, I, I do want to learn a lot and empathize with people who are going through suffering, abuse, harm. So I want to be informed. But when it when it's something triggering for myself, then I need better tools to moderate yeah. how much I consume at once or if it's the right time for it and such. Because otherwise I, I render myself totally um <laughs> yeah unavailable to help also. Exactly. In any way. Yeah. And it's not about harming yourself in the process either. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I you know recently when I uh, I recently I actually uh, shared a text I wrote titled Issues of Accountability in the Dutch Cultural Community uh, that also went over a lot around um the NRC article about a certain um um visual Dutch visual artist who yeah who assaulted many many people um sexually and violently as well and But my point is, when I wanted to write about this, of course, I went deep into it for days. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And actually, that really drained me also emotionally to really be uh, dealing with this, such a heavy topic. And and I had to keep my mind together because I needed to formulate my arguments and really just try to produce something that would help the conversation and such. So I had to be really, um, how to say rational and together mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, but emotionally it was affecting me a lot and that was also one of the times that I indulged myself just way too much on something that uh, I should have maybe taken more time to yeah yeah uh, work with you know yeah of because course. I, I I lived the consecutive days having to rest a lot a lot and a lot I bet know? I mean yeah, yeah fuck yeah I can imagine yeah, yeah. So it's a great tip. Thank you so much. I think it's super useful and something I will remind myself more often. Thank for you. Sure. I'm glad if it can be useful yeah. to anyone listening. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. It is something that I am trying to apply at the moment and I'm not saying that mm -hmm. I am I, I'm fully managing it, but I think it can work if you if you truly practice it and if you're dedicated to to, yeah, to learning more about feeling good rather than bringing back past emotions and traumas yes absolutely Alrighty, this is a long one yet again so grab a blanket a cup of tea a glass of wine maybe even <laughs> and enjoy the rest of this episode right after this lovely musical break
So, we are going to move along to the next chapter of this episode, which is titled Strategic Celibacy. And again, before we dive in, I'd like to issue another gentle trigger warning as there will be a brief mention of harmful sex patterns as well as the hashtag MeToo movement along with elements related to it. So feel free to skip ahead if that's what you need to do or listen with caution. So in this chapter, Adrienne Marie Brown starts off by referencing the recent hashtag MeToo movement, particularly the quote back and forth about the line between bad sex and rape, end quote, and how it prompted some of us to look inward and analyze our own intimate lives through a new lens. Brown acknowledges that there is still a shit ton of work to be done, even saying, quote, People with any sort of privilege in intimate situations have to stop denying what they know. Stop pushing past no. Stop waiting for mouths to say no when bodies have already expressed it. Stop getting off on power expressed as sexual access and harm, end quote. Following that powerful statement, she goes on to ask herself and us, her readers, Quote, have I been complicit in continuing harmful patterns of sex that blur the line? How many of us are trapped in a politically regressive loop of desire? End quote. Yeah. A little bit later, Brown also expands on the, quote, submission practices in bed, end quote, that we are taught to be biological, primal, even spiritual. Related to that, uh, Brown says... I suspect a key aspect of succeeding in the world of hashtag MeToo and smashing the patriarchy will be examining not just true rape culture, but our culture of desire, not with shame or righteousness, but with deep curiosity. What turns us on and what can we change if it doesn't align with what we believe in, end quote. Yeah. I thought that this was a very interesting thought, a very confronting mm-hmm. one as well. But I believe Mm -hmm. this approach is indeed, as Brown says, necessary to achieve the work that we want to do as a collective. It's individual work that down the line can become so communal. And I am not afraid to admit, but I'm a little bit ashamed to admit (laughs) that a lot of my own fantasies and sexual desires are very much rooted in patriarchy and the beliefs it's transmitted to me. Questioning them Mm -hmm. sounds scary because there are things I don't feel ready to confront and others I don't want to let go of, I guess. But at the same time, it also sounds reasonable and really deeply interesting. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I'm curious, what are your thoughts on Brown's approach? I find it extremely important in this text that, like, we, we are... She's inviting us to examine how our culture of desire relates to the rape culture Mm -hmm. and what happens to turn us on and how does that relate to systems of oppression as well and like your your very valuable confession i mean i must (laughs) admit that same with me a lot of my sexual fantasies also involve um power dynamics that in real life i would really be against to uh, to, you know (laughs) or uh, very patriarchal norms or very um sometimes very oppressively gendered behavior yeah that i twistedly find um arousing in my world of fantasies you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and some of them i definitely want to work through and get rid of when they 
reflects to my daily pre political practice and how it kind of disrupts it. And if, if it disrupts it, I definitely would find a lot of reason then to really deal with it. But I also want to quote Adrian Marie Brown from actually the next text, but I can really apply it here. Yeah. And she says, it goes, quote, Even as I write this, I won't tell you all of my fantasies. Some of them are rooted so deeply in my system that I'm not sure I will ever let them go. I'm not even sure I want to. But I do want to be able to recognize what is mine and what isn't, what should stay in fantasy, and what is aligned with the world I'm generating, one in which gender is not an indication of power, in or out of the bedroom, end quote. So, yes, that's really how I feel about that as well. Yeah. Like, there are some fantasies that I think are harmful, not right, not aligned with what I believe in, but I will keep them if they are mine. I don't even know if I want to let go of them. Of course. But I will just work harder to, to recognize, like, what is mine and what is not, and what doesn't align. Exactly. And just be mindful with all of that. Yeah, definitely. You know? It's not about yeah. just giving up all of your fantasies because, oh my God, they don't all align <laughs> with my values and what I believe in and what I fight for. And <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's like, okay, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just be aware of them, acknowledge them, reflect on them and keep them or don't keep them. It's up to you, really. <laughs> I mean, seriously, as long as there's mutual consent, you can even say like, let's be the most vicious patriarchal assholes to each other and get <laughs> off of that right <laughs> like as long as two adults are like consenting to it oh yeah why not yeah fuck yeah yeah <laughs> mm -hmm. do however do whatever you feel is right for you sis <laughs> exactly <laughs> And then yeah. related to this perspective, Brown goes on to talk about strategic celibacy or, quote, intentionally refraining from sexual relations, end quote, as a tool to, quote, cultivate new possibilities for desire within ourselves and between us and others, end quote. And she goes on to give us steps to practice strategic celibacy. And again, I'd like to briefly go over them. Mm -hmm. The first one is why. Get clear on why you might need an intentional, an intentional period of celibacy. Are you regularly engaging in sex that hurts, that is confusing, that your body isn't seeing an ecstatic yes to? Maybe you've never even considered it and you are just curious to learn more about your desire. End quote. The second one is how long. Set a time period that should feel doable, but long enough to really observe yourself. The third one is get curious and reflective. Keep a desire journal, write down what you feel, and if you notice a lack of desire, track that as well. Once you've started tuning into what you desire, check it against your values. This is a time for curiosity, not judgment." End quote. And the final one is called See Yourself. Get honest with yourself. You may learn that you're right where you want to be sexually. You may find that you're engaging in practices that compromise your values. Noticing and knowing are the first steps. End quote. Beautiful. I think these are really good steps to to begin with. Uh, if one, if we wanted to to engage and practice strategic celibacy, I think because that's something that is not really talked about, is it? Uh, periods of celibacy, intentional ones. 
Um, Always in context of religion, I hear. Yeah, it. yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Mostly, mostly in con- contexts of religion, um, when really this is something that you can do completely outside of your religious beliefs. That can be something mm-hmm. very personal and intimate, for whatever reason it might be. As as Brown says, it might be pure curiosity, or it might be something a little bit deeper. But I think it's important to talk about because there's also this strange culture of shaming people who don't have sex. And I find that completely appalling. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. You don't know why someone is not having sex. Yeah. You don't need to shame them for it. (laughs) Yes, having sex is wonderful, but it's not the coolest thing on earth. Well, you're having sex. (laughs) Good for you, bro. Like, okay, calm down. (laughs) Calm down, Brian. the most common thing (laughs) humanity does. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I really like that she... uh, brought that forward definitely Mm -hmm. i truly appreciate it and i actually wanted to know your thoughts on strategic celibacy how did you reflect on that chapter and Mm. the steps that uh, brown shared with us yeah well i have never really practiced strategic celibacy before usually when i didn't have sex for a long time it wasn't often a choice per (laughs) se There has been periods of months that I didn't engage sexually with someone else. Um, But sometimes I did consciously practice not watching porn for masturbation. And that was wonderful. Because then my desires really became more vivid. Really? My fantasies became more detailed. Yeah, more like visible in my head. Like almost more tangible. That's so interesting. Uh, These fantasies and these people that I have in my mind. And uh, I think I returned to porn for how easy it is and how quicker it can be sometimes yeah we're we're gonna talk about that in a few chapters exactly but my best masturbation pleasure is always when i use my fantasies and not porn um so that's for sure and certain (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah i think she gave a great guideline to us to practice this um and well i might as well just give it a go (laughs) (laughs) well you're at it just give it a go (laughs) (laughs) hey why not what about you how do you reflect to this yeah practice i mean as i said i definitely believe it can be beneficial especially when connected to the recalibrating or analysis of our desires and fantasies in relation Mm -hmm. to patriarchy and the alignment of our desires and fantasies with what we truly believe in, our core values and such. I can imagine it can, it might be more difficult for some people more than others. Um, but I think it would be good for folks who, for whom it would be trickier to start small and then grow and expand the duration of the celibacy, for example. I, yeah. I did practice intentional celibacy for a long time years actually um but not for the same reasons mentioned uh, in this chapter it was years Mm. ago about uh, yeah uh, eight seven eight years ago or so and in my personal experience i can honestly honestly say that i got exactly what i needed from this experience although Mm -hmm. it wasn't necessarily what i wanted when i Mm -hmm. um when i started 
Uh, I didn't do it out of pure enthusiasm, <laughs> but yeah. I did it because I knew I truly needed it uh, in order to create this space of safety and reflection and freedom and self-exploration after a while. So for me, it was more about reconnecting to myself. And in that case, yes, I, I 100% believe in this practice. And I really appreciate the, the tips that Brown shared with us, should we want mm -hmm. to try it ourselves in the future. Wonderful. Super encouraging. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, definitely. Amazing. So, mm -hmm. you know, if you want to engage with it, you can always ask me for tips. <laughs> yes, lovely. <laughs> hey, I also loved the idea of keeping a desired journal. I think it sounds amazing. Yeah, me too. It's a suggestion from Adrian Marie Brown. I, I actually might do that because a log of my desires and fantasies, it just sounds wonderful. And then I can have a more intentional decision on uh, which of them I want to experience in real life. And then how can I achieve that? Yes. You know? Yeah. I think it would wow. be so interesting to log all of our desires and their fluctuations yes. as well. Because I'm sure even exactly. personally, as, as someone who has a menstrual cycle, I'm very curious about how my desires fluctuate depending on where in my menstrual cycle I am and how my ah. hormones are acting and if they influence my desires as well. They probably That's do. That's exciting. They probably yeah. do, honestly. <laughs> That's an amazing study. That's wonderful. Yeah, it's a great thing that. to have. And if we can keep it yeah. on keep it up for years it, it would be such an interesting yeah. thing to look back <laughs> on and analyze absolutely yeah and sometimes when we decide to do that we can uh let our partners take a little peek on that book and then like mm -hmm. see if they have something to offer mm -hmm, mm -hmm, <laughs> mm -hmm. hi hello honey would you like to take a look at my <laughs> desire book <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I would be like highlighting the most important ones with like green neon <laughs> pen. <laughs> I would send them a spreadsheet. You already know that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move along to the next chapter of this episode titled Liberating Your Fantasies. Before we start discussing again, uh, I'd like to issue a trigger warning for the last two chapters that we're going to study as there will be mentions of rape culture, although we have mentioned it before, as well as related topics such as the expression and non-expression of consent. So if opting out of this last part of the episode is what feels safer for you, please feel free to do so. It's been a pleasure having you <laughs> with us until now, and we hope to see you yes. next week. And otherwise, please feel free to continue and listen with caution. So in this essay, Adrian Marie Brown presents the idea of liberating our fantasies from a rather different perspective than what we might be used to when talking about fantasies. What Brown talks about is true liberation, which begins with identifying where slash in what our fantasies and desires are rooted in so that we can mm -hmm. liberate our sensual and sexual fantasies and desires from what I like to call the puppeteers, such as patriarchy, white supremacy, and capitalism, mm, just to name a yeah. few. <laughs> mm -hmm. And before we dive in, I wanted to read the footnotes that Brown included at the very start of this essay. Uh, and just so uh, our listeners know, this essay first appeared as Liberating Your Desire, It's Time to Shift Your Fantasies in February 2018. In this footnote, Brown says, quote, There were a few people who felt that this piece was about 
policing the realm of fantasy and that it was not feminist. I include this piece here because it feels important to examine what we are training our bodies to find pleasurable and to be as intentional as possible about it. That feels very feminist to me, and I hope to stay in complex conversations around it." End quote. Uh, I just thought it was important to include this footnote as it might help folks un understand the topic a little bit better as well as position themselves accordingly to their own path and beliefs. And I also found it useful to me as a way to hear Brown's voice and the tone that she intended it in, yeah. uh, which mm -hmm. isn't a shameful tone, but rather a curiosity enticing with a thought-provoking guidance, I would say, from what I yeah. personally understood. However, it's really up to you, our listeners, to take the following essay and its conversations with, in whatever way feels right. Yeah, yeah. So in this essay, Brown starts by defining the word fantasy according to the Oxford Living Dictionary. It is defined as, quote, the faculty or activity of imagining things, especially things that are impossible or improbable, end quote. Brown then says, quote, fantasy then becomes a safe space to desire things that we might never do or allow in real life, end quote. She then goes on to question where our desires come from, who actually planted them, and as she tells about her own desire-forming experiences uh, that she lived through as a growing child, who was almost exclusively fed by the media, harmful, misogynistic, and aggressive ideas of what a relationship between a man and a woman should be, as well as the position that women, women should have in a world of men-centered desire, remembering movies such as Grease or Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Unsurprisingly, Brown admits that witnessing such oppressive and men-centric concepts and practices at such a young age shaped her own sexual desires and deeply anchored beliefs, too. Um, these toxic practices heavily contribute to what we call rape culture. And it really resonated with me what she shared, especially the fact that certain movies planted seeds of toxic oh, and yeah. unhealthy uh, ideas of what relationships, love, sex should be and should look mm -hmm. like. Um, so I was curious if you yourself have a similar experience or if you've noticed in the past or maybe even now the influence mm -hmm. of okay. the media or other sources on your own desires and fantasies. Well... You know, as a queer kid, actually, in my formational years, I really lacked a world that would present me with sexual possibilities and fantasies. Mm. Especially straight cis men have a total different experience in that because although very toxic and riddled with rape culture imagery, they have an entire media and content that is catering to de the formation of their uh, sexuality and fantasies. I didn't have that. Our societies encourage cis straight men to... Uh, have all kinds of sexual experiences and fantasies um, everything is catering to that and as a queer kid I, I missed that kind of uh, guidance or abundance of possibilities mm. and a lot of it was on me to create from fragmented pieces that I would find here and there you know because like uh, of course there were gay icons but they weren't presented as gay icons yeah like Ricky Martin 
was in many ways was this very flamboyant pop singer sexy and such but he was actually catering to straight women right yeah he definitely was this pop icon or the band blue which i when i was a child i loved the the boy band blue and i was um i was one of the one of those who stand duncan actually <laughs> and they also were catered as like four straight guys talking about women all the time but then ricky martin and duncan both came out years and years later um But when I was a child in those formational years, it just felt like gay icons are there hinting me at something, but never ex explicitly, always yeah. a bit secretively and like with all, almost a suggestion that what I desire is pervasive and out of the norm, ab abnormal, you know, uh, strange, should be in dark corners mm. and, and sketchy places and such. And I want to quote Adrian Marie Brown to give a clearer picture of what I lacked because she really pins it down well. She says, quote, Somewhere along the journey, through attraction we feel for others, media images and healthy or unhealthy interactions with those older than us, visuals and storylines groove a pathway of desire in our brains. We begin to have certain scenarios that turn us on, fantasies of what we want to do or have done to us or witnessed, end quote. So this is what I mean that I kind of missed. I don't assert that I completely lacked it, but mine was that specific experience of growing up as a queer person and navigating in the culture of desire that was built to cater to straight fantasies, mm. mostly straight cis men, but also straight, straight cis women as well. Yeah, And I definitely felt that. Um, but then, of course, gay culture expanded tremendously, especially with the social media as well. And a lot of pop stars, gay icons really dominated this narrative to the point we brought it that like drag queens became mainstream. Um, thanks to RuPaul's Drag Race, I guess, <laughs> and all the efforts of all the queens that were involved in it. Yeah. Um, and nowadays, especially in social media and Instagram, uh, the gay culture is showing its one of the most oppressive and difficult faces which is like all these all these guys with with their gym bodies totally fit mm -hmm. and something that not everyone can achieve for for many many reasons yeah and they almost hold a standard that says like if you don't look like this fuck you you know so then what what does it do with our desires like okay i find this person sexier this person hot but then i also feel kind of oppression or attack towards what i am and how i am mm -hmm. or something mm -hmm. because it is there it is systematic and it is there um so it's still really twisted so it it wasn't like in the past it didn't exist and it now it came in a very liberating way it didn't uh, it came with a very oppressive way Similar to rape culture, similar to ableism, it includes ableism, uh, white supremacy, um, you know, fat phobia. <laughs> so it's riddled with all the toxic shit that straight cis fantasies and culture of desire contains too. Yeah. So girl, I don't know. It's all so much. It's so <laughs> I don't even much. know what I was going to. It's but a lot, like, <laughs> but wow, yeah. yeah. I mean, you're so yeah. right. Everything that you said is very, very spot on, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Sadly enough, but yeah. Yeah. yeah it's... But the problem is like straight people receive these tools, even though they are toxic and tools of rape culture, to interact with each other. Mm -hmm. 
you know it's it's in their system it's built in but as queer people no the system didn't build in tools that would cater to our fantasies and sexual world no i mean that's for sure as you said yeah. uh, your your gay icons weren't even allowed to 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 say that they were gay you know what i mean exactly they were forced to cater to a certain audience because it was more marketable <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely and look how the times changed now straight pop icons are degendering fashion mm-hmm. straight cis men pop icons are degendering fashion now so it is wonderful but yeah where were you bitch when i needed you the most yeah yeah exactly and i think also I it's it's i i do think it's wonderful that nowadays uh straight cis uh male icons are more and more exploring their their the, their fashion in a less gendered way i would say yeah i think it's wonderful but i mm-hmm. think they get an attention and a platform and a light that is much more uh kind and accepting than uh, voices of trans people or gender non-binary people who have been doing this for so many years already, for so many decades. Um, And that I find really disturbing. Why do we praise the straight cis males who are dressing in in more quote-unquote feminine ways now and Mm -hmm. bashing trans and uh, gender non-binary people who have been doing yeah. the same. I just don't understand. Very true. It's a very valuable comparison because uh, this comparison that you just brought on table also points at how uh, cis uh, men, white cis men especially, supremacy includes a bigger command of attention. Mm-hmm. They have this power of commanding a bigger uh, level of attention um, I think part of it is because then people turn to them and say like, oh, so you have this privilege, but you want to relinquish part of it. Yep. You want to look less like the gendered men that, that you could actually uphold. So why? You know, like, that's interesting. That's shocking. You know, mm-hmm. you want to relinquish the privilege. All right. You know, like this, which is also in itself so disturbing yeah. in a way that it's performed as well. Right. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's something annoying with that as well, I must say. Yeah, yeah I, 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 I I do find a lot of value in that. Also, by the way, in Turkey, we had our Zeki Muran or America, the United States had its uh, Liberace and people have been degendering fashion. So in nowadays, like all the millennial pop icons, cis men, straight pop icons saying like, yeah, I have nail polish. So what? (laughs) (laughs) Feels a bit like, (laughs) calm down, calm down, Harry Styles. No, but it is valuable. It is valuable. No, I believe it's it it's beautiful. it's it's super valuable, and I think it's great. And for example, Harry Styles, of course, like he should do whatever the fuck he wants, and he looks so beautiful of in course. whatever he 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 wears, honestly. And I was very yeah. disturbed by the comments of uh, of this woman who who said bring back uh, masculine men or something like that when she saw um, the cover of the magazine on which he was uh, he was photographed and wearing a dress yeah. or something. And I was like, okay, girl, like this is really not what you should be saying. Well, as I know, <laughs> you, <laughs> actually, she should leave masculinity alone yeah masculinity is something else it's not it's it shouldn't be uh 
hijacked by uh, gender toxic norms. Masculinity is something beautiful that men and women can perform. Exactly. Anyone, non-binary people can perform. It's not just wearing certain genes that are made for men's body or something or whatever top uh, that he was wearing, you know? Yeah. Ah. But just to say that, yeah, who, of course, it's great to, to have these types of examples nowadays for younger people who might find themselves in in a, in a situation where they yeah. don't dare to do the same thing in their personal lives but then they see this this famous person doing it and maybe it gives them the 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 energy and the strength to do it themselves and that's yeah. super great but i still believe that we should shine a light on the people who have been doing it for so long and who have been completely destroyed by the public because of uh, their practices of which yeah. practices was just being themselves periods yeah exactly yeah. yeah there's also a power play in all of that as well because when a cis straight man uh, de- uh, does a practice of degendering de- fashion um, he doesn't really experience the danger of not passing mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. but when a trans person uh, doesn't pass in that certain uh, circumstance or that certain situation or that space there's real danger for that person you know yeah so there's also the risk that they're taking is very different yeah for yeah. sure very good point So to go back to the chapter we were talking about, Brown continues and says, quote, our much defended rape culture is fed by fantasies of incest, rape, coercion, boundary, transgression, force, transaction, and scenarios where the masculine wields power over the feminine, end quote, while, quote, the culture of repression often rooted in religious spaces focuses its fantasies on purity, innocence, virginity, monogamy, and youth. End quote. Mm-hmm. Very sad, but very true, I have to say. And it's, uh, yeah. it's, it's very confronting, of course, but something that I think everybody should be aware of before engaging in whatever fantasies uh, they, they might be into. Um, mm-hmm. And later on, Brown adds, uh, quote, men learn to be dominant, initiating penetrators. They learn that it's their nature to ravish women. And women learn to be coy, dishonest receptacles were taught to say no until the last moment and then, and then say nothing but yes or say nothing and mean yes, end quote. All of what she said truly went straight to my heart and straight to my mind because yeah. it's difficult, right, to, to acknowledge that, to acknowledge what our fantasies might be rooted in in which Mm -hmm. is this culture of very toxic culture that created everything that i'm against it's 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 a bit fucked up right (laughs) i don't know i just felt it just felt wow okay okay (laughs) Mm -hmm. this is a lot Mm -hmm. to take in (laughs) yeah totally totally i feel like one crucial statement from adrian murray brown in this text is also exactly to that point, she says, quote, the realm of imagination is also where culture begins. Mm-hmm. We imagine things that in turn shape our real life desires and practices. Where did capitalism, white supremacy and pa- patriarchy come from? Some imagining of scarcity and power that isn't true, end quote. And all of, all of our imagination, fantasy and such 
creating the reality in turn um, that we end up experiencing. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, there's so, such a huge importance in working th- working through that. Exactly. And it's a it's it's a strange dynamic to realize we might have in, within us, I think, because, yeah. of course, for example, in my personal experience, I I don't think I was fully aware of how far back my fantasies were rooted and mm. by how far back I mean so far that it's even outside of myself so far yeah. that it happened before I was born oh. it's a fucked up rea- realization because you you kind of have you almost have no choice but have if not all but part of your fantasies completely be created by capitalism patriarchy white supremacy and all of these oppressors and powerful structures that we are trying to get rid of yeah absolutely yeah yeah it's just strange to me to to think about but i really appreciate the way that uh brown approaches it because Mm -hmm. there is no accusatory tone in her text in my personal opinion but it's still it's still i don't want to say harsh but firm enough for us to be confronted with it and not run away Mm -hmm. from from such statements because that's just something that we can't really deny can we exactly and she also just kind of invites us to acknowledge the power of our imagination and Mm -hmm, fantasies mm -hmm. and its power of creating worlds. Um, Regine Marie Brown also deems science fiction a way of practicing the future together. So it extends to that level as well Mm -hmm. uh, in her, in the, in the discourse that she is uh, sharing a lot. And uh, yeah, our imagination is so powerful. Our collective imagination literally creates our entire life experience. And that means we are also responsible for uh, certain practices of imagination and fantasies as well. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And ultimately, I think that what Adrienne Marie Brown is inviting us to do is not necessarily to eradicate and fully let go of all of our desires, as we've mentioned before. Um, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I think it's also important to to reiterate the fact that your dire- your desires and your fantasies are fully your own um, and yours to own I, as well, yeah. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. to analyze as well uh, or not, to keep to yourself or to share, to yeah. to value in your mind or to seek in your reality as long as these fantasies and desires do not involve causing sadistic harm or grave pain in a non-consensual way, of course. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. I'm not here to judge. We're, we're not here to judge. <laughs> yep. mm-hmm. As we said before, we ourselves <laughs> have fantasies <laughs> deeply rooted <laughs> yeah. in our fucked up mm. oppressors. Um, and you as an individual, our listeners should not judge yourself either for whatever fantasies or desires your heart and mind craves. Absolutely. Yeah, I just wanted to <laughs> add that yeah. to uh, ensure that people wouldn't feel bad about uh, about themselves while listening or reading this chapter. Well, they aren't ready. The next one is titled Pornography and Accountability. <laughs> exactly. Here we fucking go. <laughs> <laughs> 
Who's ready? Not me. <laughs> not me. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. <laughs> oh my god. So, <laughs> as you may have uh, caught on, the next chapter is titled Pornography and Accountability, again by yeah. Adrienne Marie mm-hmm. Brown. And um, I'd like to first read the first paragraph of mm-hmm. uh, the, this chapter. Mm-hmm. So, quote, In 2016, among the top pornography searches for men were stepmom, stepsister, mom, teen, and stepmom and son. Men also liked videos in the categories of Japanese, ebony, and Asian in that order. Women were searching for stepdad and daughter as well as gangbang and extreme gangbang. They wanted to see big black dick or just black sex in general and sometimes Japanese. And everyone wanted to see lesbians. These aren't the only things people were searching for, but they were the top searches for millions of people the world over, according to Pornhub, the top porn site in the world. End quote. (laughs) (laughs) So that just gives you a little uh, sneak peek of what we're going to get into. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Because quite obviously, a lot of these uh, searches can sound a little fucked up. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. uh, but at the same time, is that really surprising that when I when I when I read all of those top searches, I was like, yeah, it's 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 awkward and it's a little bit uncomfortable to read. But I'm also yeah. not surprised at all. I yeah, am not surprised. shocked. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> there, I think there is much quote unquote worse searches out there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so much For worse. Sure. I mean, For come sure. on. <laughs> I mean, where is my search of Altar Eng and Zuko? <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> She's opening up. <laughs> yeah, I know. Adrian Murray Brown asks, what are we programming ourselves to desire? when we watch porn yeah exactly exactly Mm. (laughs) and basically in this chapter she guides us through a path to liberation through our sexual desires and interests and so this time tackling pornography um but also what can be unhealthy toxic and harmful in pornography particularly its contents And Mm -hmm. Brown points Mm -hmm. out how most of porn is created for the male gaze, as well as how easily accessible porn is, especially nowadays where porn platforms uh, displaying free content such as Pornhub are massively well known. I think it's Mm -hmm. one of the most researched and clicked on, uh, visited, I mean, website. I don't know why I say it clicked on. I literally sounded like a grandmother. (laughs) 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 Anyway. (laughs) Uh, But porn, along with our deepest, wildest fantasies, are indeed just one click away. Literally. Maybe three clicks. Mm -hmm. Max three clicks. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. as Brown points out, contrary to what pornography used to be, which was most often still images or a bit later, very brief, almost GIF-like films. Um, Nowadays, porn is made so incredibly simple for its consumers, not only because of how close it is to us, literally, physically, and via the internet, but the content itself 
contains everything we need to activate the part of our brain that arouses us and activates our our genitalia as well in a matter of mm -hmm. seconds like yeah. seconds mm -hmm. you don't even need yeah. you can put like the simplest keywords and you can have yeah. an entire selection of pages and pages of potential yeah. videos that will all satisfy your craving <laughs> yeah 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 and as Brown says herself, quote, your, ima your imagination isn't really needed, end quote. <laughs> no. But you know what is so scary? Their mastery over our desires. Because sometimes when I want to watch a porn and then an ad comes first, right? Mm -hmm. And that ad terrifies me because it's, it's usually like three seconds of scenes from different porns. And I'm like, they picked those three seconds with so much care and information <laughs> oh my god that i'm like all oh, it's almost better it's almost more effective than the porn itself you know like that's so scary to me how much they know about our desires and how intensely they can provoke it Ugh. when they want to with an ad like sometimes i'm like oh my goodness <laughs> and th that easy reach we have to all of that content makes it more challenging to take more responsibility for the porn we consume, right? Yeah. And yeah. And it doesn't really help our imagination either, I don't think, the practice of it. Because as we've said uh, in past episodes, imagination is kind of like a muscle, right? You, you mm -hmm. kind of need to practice it. And I think even maybe even more so when it comes to sexual fantasies and sexual imagination. Yeah. And what porn does is it might have the effect of numbing that part of our imagination related to our sexual desires sure. it's kind of of course i do think porn i don't think sorry i don't think porn is an evil platform you know it's not an evil no. content it's not something to mm -hmm. be ashamed of if you consume porn not at all <laughs> <laughs> sorry just remembered something i did <laughs> nothing i just sent you a video once and and you were like me watching feminist porn <laughs> <laughs> literally i get distracted yeah. by, by the mm -hmm. storyline <laughs> <laughs> sorry 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 i interrupted no no worry <laughs> but anyway um <laughs> i'm sorry just imagining you like that is so <laughs> this is exactly what i look like when much feminist porn just like mouth half so, opened yes. the gaze the gaze of someone who is thinking so hard <laughs> who's just theorizing and <laughs> who's writing an essay in her everything. mind oh my god and your hands are just like on the sides <laughs> yes it's like I'm watching a, a freaking French movie from the from the nineties. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so actually, this is a great segue. How do you, my dear Marius, engage with pornography and what are your thoughts on it and what are your thoughts on Brown's perspective on it as well? 
I mean, there are porn genres that I think that I enjoy, uh, the search bars, <laughs> that I'm not necessarily proud of <laughs> at all. <laughs> I think we all have that. Uh, no judgment. <laughs> and it is actually not entirely not our fault also that we desire certain problematic situations and dynamics that extend their reach to harm in our communities, you know. Um, it's not our fault. <laughs> it's also a lot of it is constructed, uh, for sure. And I love how Agent Mary Brown reminds us of a choice. Uh, she says, quote, Ideally, porn is a spark for, and an extension of, a vibrant sexual imagination. And just like with fantasy, we may choose to continue watching stuff beyond our politics, stuff we never plan to practice, but this should be an intentional, informed sexual, sexual choice, end quote. Hells yes. Yeah, this is exactly uh, how I feel as well. Me too. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's how I um, engage with porn as well. So if I desire something that I would never practice in real life, I would still watch it. But then I would never never violate someone in a way that that porn might suggest. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I don't know. I just, yeah. I just don't see anything necessarily wrong with the facts, uh, the action of Same. watching porn. Um, and doing it intentionally and mindfully like okay i choose to watch this yeah. this includes this kind of a power dynamic or this kind of a questionable uh, situation mm -hmm. where you don't really know about the dynamic or such mm -hmm. but then you're like okay i'm aware and i think these actors are hot so i will go for that but then in real life you are aware of of similar situations as well and you know where you stand too exactly yeah would you like to share anything else about Porn and accountability. <laughs> <laughs> Now we can move on to the next chapter if you're also ready. All right, let's do it then. Mm -hmm. So, 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 the last mm. chapter we are going to talk about is titled Use Your Voice. Again, uh, yep. by the wonderful and beautiful Adrienne Marie Brown. Yes. And in this one, she shares with us five true stories that she collected from folks she spoke with, as well as from her own experience, her own history. Mm -hmm. And these stories are all woven with a common thread, if you will, which, which Brown calls, quote, the unveiling of new realms of sexual confusion and trauma, end quote, following the unveiling that happened with the hashtag MeToo movement, particularly. Yeah. And each story is very personal and recounts different moments in which one person's expression of consent was challenged, some resulting yeah. in various tones of discomfort and feelings of powerlessness, while roots of empowerment and self-affirmation grew for others, from others, sorry. For example, mm -hmm. the last sentences of the first story are, quote, afterward, she thought about all the things she wanted to say, wished she had said. They were all variations mm -hmm. of no, end quote. While yeah. the last sentences of the fifth story are, quote, afterward, she became a lover who speaks. She realized that using her voice as a guidance, invitation, and boundary actually allows her to be present, to exercise control over her body and her pleasure, and sometimes mm -hmm. to build the kind of trust that lets her relinquish control, which is a big deal for her and for most sexual harm survivors, end quote. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I found this this chapter absolutely beautiful and breathtaking as well. Very intense too, very raw, very vulnerable. 
very honest. I admire mm-hmm. the people who shared their stories with Brown yeah. and also accepted to share them with us. Mm-hmm. I think it's extremely strong. Use your voice. It's such a good, such a good title for this chapter because mm-hmm. it is something that we are not necessarily taught to do, which I think is why it can be so difficult for for us, especially for people who have been oppressed for mm-hmm. most or all of their lives to do. And I'm curious to hear about how uh, you reflected on this particular chapter and these stories mm-hmm. and how they touched you or maybe even how they helped you or prompted you rather to reflect on your own expression of consent. I think Adrian Murray Brown did such an amazing job with um, tapping into this really uh, nuanced ground um, in these discussions of abuse and harm. A ground that doesn't say you should have protected yourself or you should have said mm-hmm. it. no, mm-hmm. but the ground that says there might be situations that your no can save you and here are some recommendations on how you can develop that you know that nuance is really important i feel uh that non-judgmental that non-blaming nuance that says like of course there are situations when you are totally uh, not in control of course especially if you're a survivor of abuse it can be very difficult to connect with what you really want or do not want and there can be endless reasons of why you couldn't protect yourself at that Mm -hmm, moment mm -hmm. that's absolutely valid for you that you couldn't do it of course but also the way she brings it is in as such that says there can be moments that your no and actually your i want can be really powerful tools Mm -hmm. no and i want yeah and she's so amazing in giving us tools on like practicing that and developing the use of these uh, phrases and practicing agency and using our voice to name the things we do or do not want absolutely and i really hope it takes a lot of healing and practice and i really hope that we can all reach to that level of agency at one point you i and all our listeners to really be in control of our no's and i wants Mm -hmm. and i don't want Mm -hmm. you know and that i hope that these tools can save us from further harm yeah yeah that's all i hope for (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah And something I truly appreciated is how Adrienne Marie Brown, after sharing those deeply emotional stories, highlights the importance of the silences, actually, the silence and how she chooses to honor them, too. She says, quote, I have to honor all the silence in these examples, honor my own silence. Our silence is survival strategy. Our silence has protected it has protected us against potential violence, an unfortunately common response of patriarchy and slash or other kinds of power when met with rejection. Silence played some role in helping us survive to get to this moment, but silence will not get us to a place of power over our bodies. It will not get us the pleasure we want, end quote. Mm-hmm. I think that's mm-hmm. also important to first acknowledge the fact that sa- silence can be and has always been a defense mechanism. Yeah. It's not being a coward it's not losing your senses it's not being unable to speak 
it's a defense mechanism. It's an attempt yeah. to protect yourself and to escape. It's an attempt to avoid further harm. Yes. And I just thought it was an extremely important reminder and statement Absolutely. to share with our audience for those of you who might not be reading along with us. Because that yeah. can also be helpful as a survivor to deal with our traumas. Because that's that might be something we we don't realize that there are there are silences that happened weren't us giving up it wasn't yeah. it wasn't that and i love 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 adrian marie brown for acknowledging that and mm-hmm. for following up with although silence was useful to us and can still be useful to us in moments of harm Silence does not guarantee us power over our bodies and does not mm-hmm. gather the true pleasure that we desire. And that it's important to, from that silence, practice our voice. And I'm going to just read through the three basic things that Brown suggests we learn to say in these moments that you've already mentioned. Uh, things that we can say when we need to reclaim our power over our bodies and the pleasure that we want and therefore going from silence to loud. (laughs) Mm -hmm. These things include, as you've said, saying no. Uh, Brown says, quote, it can be an incredibly uncomfortable complete sentence, but be all that needs to be said. We must remember that our socialized aversion to no, particularly in capitalist countries, is strategic for those who aim to hold power over us. If we are made to feel uncomfortable saying no, then we will say yes to anyone and anything that tries to sell us shit. We must remember that we are learning to say no as we recover from patriarchy, capitalism, racism. End quote. The second thing she suggests we learn to say is not now. She says, quote, this is not the time. Maybe I'll want sex in the future, but not right now. I'm not sure why, but not now. End quote. These are simple sentences that we can practice saying. And the last thing is, I want, uh, insert desire here. <laughs> mm-hmm. And Adrienne Marie Brown gives us uh, small examples such as, quote, I want it slower, faster, softer, harder i know what i want my body is responding to you end quote i do think i agree with you and i do think that uh, these very uh basic sentences these very basic words are incredibly important for us to have in our vocabulary and for us to practice saying out loud in various situations where we need Mm -hmm. to express our consent this consent, by the way, might not uh, need to be expressed necessarily only in sexual or sensual bedroom situations. Yes, exactly. It can be in any situation. It can be mm-hmm. saying no to something as simple as uh, seeing a friend on a day where we need alone time. It can be mm-hmm. saying no to an offer uh, of a job or labor of any sort yeah a labor that is asked of you. exactly mm-hmm. it can really come from any situation um, that requires your consent especially 
I think it's particularly important to remember those sentences whenever we have that feeling or that knot in our chest um, that pops up when something is presented to us, asked from us, offered to us too. And not necessarily with words, by the way. It can be body language. It can be looks. It can be a breath. It can be... Yeah, so I think I just wanted to add that to, to and to underline this uh, this little addition. Beautiful, thank you. Of course. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I wanted also to reshare or reshare, <laughs> <laughs> share another quote from mm-hmm. Brown. She says, "Quotes part of liberating our desires from the rape culture and patriarchy we're swimming in is reclaiming our rights to communicate." End quote. Yeah. hell to the fuck to the yes (laughs) yep that is the cherry on top (laughs) (laughs) it really is it really is the pleasure of saying no the pleasure of saying i want this or not now or i don't want this girl the pleasure of that like when i now remember in my head that incidents that i won't share here but like those moments that i said no to things Mm -hmm. or said i actually want this to things and i can recall how vividly pleasurable those moments are of saying no of like claiming my no and then like then by saying no you're opening up a different portal for that communication to move to move through, right? Mm-hmm. And the person in that communication with you will have to uh, either comply and go into that portal or just recommend something else that just keeps you with your agency on that table, keeps you with your, your wonderful will, your wonderful desire, your free, free will. Um, I just love that. I, I can't wait to say no to things. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. Please uh, offer me things, people, and uh, let me say a good, satisfying no to them. An ecstatic no. <laughs> An mm, orgasmic yes. no. <laughs> An orgasmic no. Yes, I love that. An orgasmic no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Oh, I love it. I love seeing yeah, that. Yeah, but you're so right. It's such a good reminder to to say mm-hmm. that saying no to things that don't feel right to you is pleasurable. It's perfect. <laughs> it feels amazing. Say no to stuff. It's wonderful. Yes. Listen to your gut. Listen to your instincts. <laughs> listen to your mind. Yes. Listen to your heart. If even the smallest part of your brain is saying, girl, no. Just say an orgasmic no. (laughs) You know, actually, this capitalistic, exploitative, oppressive system, by default, is constantly asking too much of us. So that's actually a default state. So actually, our response to everything, by default, should be a first no. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. We should first go with like, no. Um, but okay, <laughs> we should first go with like that. No, that disrupts that that claim, that assumption that they have access to that part. Of yep. You. Because that that claim, that 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 sensation of that access is everywhere. And first, we have to set a bar to that, like uh, no, and then now you can move on with the pace that works with me. <laughs> I love that. 
Damn motherfucking yeah. right. <laughs> I'm so enthusiastic about no. I, <laughs> I know. don't know why, but I, I just love, love it. it. I love the way I love your enthusiasm, I have to say. Yeah, It's amazing to witness. Yeah. We talk so much about the orgasmic yes that Adrian Maria Brown is teaching us so wonderfully, but I think it's yeah. also important to to mention and to relate the orgasmic no. <laughs> yes. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> Amazing. Would you like to share anything else about this last chapter? No, thank you. It was wonderful. All right. Well, It means mm -hmm. that once again, we have reached our destination. And once okay. again, it's been an immense pleasure. <laughs> Same for me as well. Yes, I had so much fun. And it was a lot to cover. And it was really intense too. I think we yeah. we we got through some really deeply emotional uh, topics and conversations. But I really enjoyed it. Yeah. And more than anything, I hope our listeners find and take whatever they need from it. I hope so too. It was wonderful for me as well. I didn't expect this episode to be this long, but I think it was a beautiful conversation. Yeah, me too. I think so too. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, thank Loved you it. so much, Marius, for joining me again. <laughs> thank you. And for talking to me. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, you should thank for that. But only a thank won't do. <laughs> Compensate. <laughs> <laughs> you need to further compensate definitely mm -hmm. <laughs> well we would like to thank our wonderful audience for joining us again today we hope you had fun we hope that you unveiled some parts of yourself you didn't expect <laughs> yeah. and we hope mm. that if you're not already reading along with us that this episode encouraged you to grab the book and read it yourself Yes, if you can. Mm -hmm. <laughs> There's also an audiobook available now. Oh, really? Way. That's so cool. Oh my God, that's mm -hmm. so cool. I'm going to listen yes. to it as well. <laughs> awesome. Wonderful. <laughs> anyway, in the meantime, we wish you all a lot of love and a lot of pleasure, of course. And we will see you yeah. next week on Sunday. Yes. <laughs> see you. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> well... That was a rather intense and emotional conversation today. It was raw, to say the least, but I hope that these conversations sparked some healthy questioning and maybe even a sense of comfort or relief for at least some of you listening to us today. As usual, we'd love to hear from you, your thoughts, your questions, your insights on what we talked about. So please feel free to do so through our Instagram at Soft Edges Podcast and slide into our DMs or comment under this episode's pictures. Last but not least, our beautiful music is by the wonderful Patrick Valinga and our awesome graphic design is by the ever-so-lovely Yuri Sato. Thank you again for joining us today and I will see you next Sunday.